Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I was talking during the intro, I hope that you couldn't hear what I said, but oh well, <laughs> if you did, sorry about that. Uh, let's talk about a couple of announcements before we move on to today's show. First of all, I've released some new Therapy Tip of the Week uh, videos, and I just want to thank everybody who emailed me or left me a comment on YouTube or um, has anybody that I've seen in person over the last year who've said, you know, what happened to that Therapy Tip of the Week stuff? Where, Where is that? Where, what's going on with that? We're back with that. We have two new Christmas-related uh, episodes, and so check those out. One is about using a simple toy, like I use the Melissa and Doug Christmas tree or Christmas-themed puzzle with walking through all of the steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers. So if you've not seen that yet, check that out. And then I have a kind of a special quirky interest one for kids or for working with kids who love numbers using advent calendars. So even if you don't celebrate Christmas, that kind of tool, something, a toy that has a, a kid's particular interest built in, so say like numbers, a kid who's just fascinated with numbers, how to take an activity and modify it so that you can use that preferred interest, not to solidify that interest, but to target the new thing you're working on that's not coming as easily for a child or that a child doesn't like as well. So take a look at those couple of new Therapy Tip of the Week uh, videos. And I also want to say in January we have lots ready to go for the new year that I've been talking about for weeks here on the show with the Pretend With Me backpack and lots of other fun little ideas. So I hope that you'll take the uh, time to check that out. If you've not looked at that yet, you can find that on my website at teachmetotalk.com or if you're on YouTube already, <laughs> scrolling through videos, you can search uh, Teach Me to Talk or Therapy Tip of the Week, and all of those, uh, our, our channel, all of those 50-plus little videos will pop up. The second thing I want to announce is today we're starting a mega sale, last sale of the year for uh, books and DVDs and courses. So today is December 14th, 2016, <laughs> if you're listening to this in current time. So check your email for that special coupon code, and I know I've mentioned it lately on the show, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again. The very best way to get a deal on any of our products from teachmetotalk.com is to be on the email list. We really don't have sales anymore that are advertised on the site because the email list is just the very best way to get that information. So it's so easy to sign up. Just go to teachmetotalk.com, look for the big green banner as you scroll down, and it says right there, email address. So put that in. You'll get a free um, ebook, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Speech Language Delays. And again, if you're a therapist, you can use that for education with the families that you're working with. Lots of therapists tell me they, they just print it off and they give it to a family at their first visit. And it sort of sets the stage for all the things that we work on in speech therapy beyond talking because that's a parent's first expectation. And so it does a nice introduction for that. And let me do the hard work for you. Let me explain all of that. And even if you are talking about that with a parent, and you should be <laughs> about all of the things that come before words emerge, 
let a parent also have that in written form so that they have another piece or of information or another way to digest all of that really complex information that they've not even thought about before. So it's a great, great tool. And certainly if you're a parent, it, I, I get lots of email, almost an email a day about how much the uh, parent ebook, the free ebook that they get for signing up has really impacted how they view their child's development. And a lot of parents don't realize that talking actually <laughs> is pretty far down the list as far as looking at all the things that have to line up before we realistically can expect to hear single words. So take a look at that and sign up for that if you've not done that yet. All right, let's move on to today's show. We're at show number 302. Let me just say, I kind of looked at the statistics today, and I'm just blown away by people who sort of have started at the beginning, way back at show number one and number two, and kind of looking at the listens, you know, all the people that have, hundreds of people and thousands of people that have listened to, you know, show number 48 or show number 35 or shows a long, long, long time ago. Um, so I, just thank you for that. You may not, those people may not hear that this announcement for a couple more years <laughs> if they have all those shows to listen to. But if you're keeping up, this is show number 302, and this is the final installment of our series, Selecting Therapy Activities for Toddlers and Preschoolers. Now, let's just take one second since this is the wrap-up show with this to sort of review the categories of the kinds of play that we've covered so far. And this is why this is important. What we're talking about today with early art activities, you should not go there first. <laughs> this hierarchy really is arranged in a developmental fashion so that you're looking at, at language development and play development as sequential, meaning that you typically – well, not typically. Well, typically is a good word. Let me just say it this way. Typically, as play develops, it is very, very logical and predictable, meaning the things that we talked about shows and shows ago, movement activities, social games and music, cause and effect toys, those first three categories, those come first. Those come way before the things that we're talking about today. So if you're just jumping in here to this series with early art activities and you're thinking, fantastic, I have some new ideas for some of my new little clients or my own, my own kid, and then you, when you try them, they don't work or the kid's not interested or you're just a little bit disappointed in how well it was received, that's usually because the child is not developmentally ready. And that's why I just do everything I can on this show or when I teach a course or when I write a book to really try to impart that development is very, very sequential and logical. And usually, even though we say something like, you know, each kid is different or all kids develop at different rates, yeah, that's true to a degree, but you're probably not going to find a kid ever who's great at and who loves early art activities that's not mastered these earlier, easier categories of play. So let's just review these really, really quickly so that if you're jumping in here on this series at the end that you understand that you need to go back and listen to those other shows <laughs> and that you understand all of the things really, really, really that have to come first. So we've already mentioned movement activities and toys and remember what these activities were. They are tasks or things that we do with the kid that where we expect them 
to be up and moving and using their little body so that they can synchronize all of their motor skills and cognitive skills and language skills and they're getting that sensory input so it's bringing everything together. So movement activities, remember that we said that these are applicable and, and are relevant to nearly every kind of kid and it's this is also the category that we go back to so that if we are losing a child's interest in activity interest in an activity or his attention during an activity, we back up. We go back to a movement activity. So we might do a little early art activity that we're talking about today. A kid gets bored or you're getting the signs that he wants to get up and leave <laughs> after about five minutes, ten minutes, which would be developmentally appropriate. And, and your instinct might be to call him back to the table to glue one more thing or to draw one more picture. Something inside your brain should say to you, no, let him move. Let him get up and do this. This will make sure that his attention in the next activity is even better. So be sure that you're thinking about that and go back and listen to that show about all the ideas that we talked about for movement activities and toys. The next category is really related, social games and music. And we talk every week on the show about how interaction with other people and engagement with other people really is foundational to communication. So when we have children that seem isolated or who don't readily listen and respond when other people try to talk to them, who seem to ignore spoken language, social games and music are where we want to begin with them. Music is enticing. It's fun. All of us enjoy music throughout our lifetimes, or most of us anyway. So really kind of getting back to that basic interest or that novelty and using music and those fun little finger plays and those one-on-one -on -one games, even if you're playing something like chase, you know, that would have a movement component as well. And there's certainly a social component because that's something that you're doing with the child. It's not an isolated or a solitary activity. So social games and music, that was our second category. The third category, cause and effect toys. And again, this is the simplest kind of play beyond that uh, sensory exploration that babies do. And what I mean by that, that babies are mouthing toys or looking at a toy or um, throwing a toy. That's almost kind of a segue into this cause and effect toys. But this is the simplest level of real play where toddlers are really learning that they can cause a new action or a new effect to happen. So we talked about some great examples of that in the show um, where we discussed cause and effect toys. So again, it's, it, when you have a kid who's not really playing with toys, you wouldn't start with early art activities like we're going to talk about today. You would back up all the way to this cause and effect category so that you can make sure that you are addressing the first possible level where something may have gone wrong, where a child is really missing developmental skills. And remember what we said about cause and effect. It's one of those three big markers for cognition, one of those, or, or helping kids learn to learn or think, if you want it, when, when you're describing cognitive skills to parents, that may be something that you should include in your description there. It's how kids, how kids think, how they learn to think, how they remember, how they plan. And so cause and effect is one of those earliest, uh, one of those earliest, ca earlier categories with that cause and effect, simple problem solving, and certainly object permanence would uh, come even before that. But listen to that show if you're not really remembering 
the importance of that, and then you'll get some great toy ideas for working on cause and effect during play. Our next category, category number four, early sit-down activities. And remember, these were highly appealing visual toys. So why would we include that? It's because kids need a reason to stay with you. <laughs> they need a reason to want to hear you talk, and they, it's, it's, it's giving you an object of your conversation ways for you to engage them in listening and learning what new words mean and then eventually of course being able to say those new words to communicate so we can target a lot of early receptive language skills there remember receptive language is how kids understand so following directions learning to link meaning to words all of those were things that we talked about with early sit-down activities. And then as a child's attention span gets better and his ability to sit with you <laughs> now moves on to be longer and longer periods. And by longer and longer, I mean, again, that five to ten minute period. Then we moved on to vocabulary building toys. And these were activities, again, that required more attention. And they are fantastic for bumping up that receptive and expressive language practice even more so toys with lots of things to talk about lots of different vocabulary targets and again not only for helping a child learn how to say words but for helping him learn to understand new words as well so we talked about all those great toys then we moved on to sensory activities and remember we we're talking about here with sensory activities anything that a kid can experience with his senses so what what are things that he might like to touch what are things that he might like to see uh, what are things, again, anything that would uh, hear, uh, stimulate that little auditory system. The things that we talked about specifically in this category, though, I save sensory activities for later because the truth is nearly every kind of play is a sensory activity. Kids are seeing and touching and hearing every kind of toy that they play with. But this really uh, category play talked about things that were a little bit messier, so water play, um, a bean box, a sand box, and we talked about how this is a great way to move toward early pretend play. And we spent a couple of shows talking about how to get that pretend play going, the four steps for helping a child move toward pretending. So go back and listen to those last two shows if you've not heard that. Pretend play is so critical for children for language development because, again, we're helping them become more symbolic. And so now we, we've moved on to the final category uh, of play that I use in my therapy sessions with toddlers and young preschoolers. And again, this is early art. And let me just say something about all of these categories in the descriptions. You can find all of that written information in two places. First of all, in the podcast summary pages that I've done at teachmetotalk.com. So if you've only listened to the show on your phone and you don't ever go back and look at the written summaries, give yourself, you know, an hour or two to go back and look at those things because you'll see maybe points that you don't remember hearing me say on the show, <laughs> but it'll just trigger a new little idea or a new thought there for you to uh, an idea that maybe you want to use with a particular child or if you're a mom or dad listening to the show maybe maybe something that again that you 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 missed when you were listening to the show so go back and read those written summaries the other thing that's been cool about these posts and I've gotten so much positive feedback uh, from therapists and parents is that I've linked 
really specific toys so that if I've mentioned a specific toy as we've done this series of shows, I've gone ahead and posted an Amazon link there. And parents have sent me emails and said, thank you so much. This has made my Christmas shopping easier. Or I really liked that I could see the toy that you were talking about because I'd, I'd never seen that toy before. That was completely new for me. And I don't think I would have been able to find it in the store had I not seen the picture in your post. So go back and look at that. The other source of this information is the original source. It's from Teach Talk, the therapy manual. So a book I wrote a few years ago. And you can find out information about that um, at my website at teachmetotalk.com and I'll post it even in the summary of this show. All right, so here we are with our final category for play, early art activities. Now, let's just talk about this for a second and I've already mentioned it, but I want to, <laughs> at the risk of beating a dead horse, Say it one more time, you would not introduce these activities for children who are not developmentally ready. So if you have a kid that you're trying to get to do this kind of thing and he's trying to eat the Play-Doh or eat the paper or whatever you're, or the chalk or whatever we're talking about, he's not ready. And that's your number one sign, your big cue that you're working on something and working at a level where that child cannot be successful. And if he is so hyper-focused on doing something that's inappropriate or, or, or dangerous with these kinds of materials, you know that you just say to yourself, he's just not ready yet. We've got to put this up. We've got to move on to an activity where he can be more successful. And here's another clue that I use that I tell myself all the time as I'm working with kids and I certainly try to talk about it as I'm working with parents or supervising students or whatever. When you realize that, that you're doing that kind of thing, you just, you just make yourself stop right then and you just you tell yourself, you know, and th that if I have to manage behavior, if, if I have gotten to the point that managing behavior is the mostly what's going on in this situation that that's taking most of my time and energy here if I keep having to tell the kid no or rip something from his mouth <laughs> or take something away or try to get him back on track and quote unquote make him do the activity it's probably not a good choice for whatever reason he's not ready it could be that he's not regulated that day it could be that again that you have forged ahead and tried to make several jumps in the maturity level of your expectations for that child or developmentally, again, cognitively, he doesn't understand. Like today we're going to talk about glue sticks, that he, you know, he thinks the glue stick is a food or a popsicle rather than, no, we're going to use it to help this paper stick together. And again, sometimes I can make the argument for, well, something's new and he doesn't know how to use it and we've got to give him some time, some exposure. That's true, but if you are repeatedly having to deal with undesirable behaviors or actions and you are continually having to really stay on top of what's going on, again, from a safety perspective, move on. Don't do that activity anymore. Don't keep wasting your time and that child's time <laughs> getting him to do something that he's either not ready for or not interested in yet. You want to make your time that you're working on language with a child just the most efficient and effective way, again, not only for that kid, but for you. If you're spending, you know, 40 minutes out of a 60-minute session trying to wrangle a kid, 
something is wrong. <laughs> You've got to reassess what your activity is. And nowhere might we see this more often than those of us who tend to be a little craftier or who like sit-down activities or who are kind of teacher people where we have this idea that to work with this child, we're both going to sit here at this table and we're going to do all these fun little things that he, you know, that we think about as, as kind of more preschool-oriented so many of our little guys with speech language delays just are not ready for that developmentally. So sometimes we we don't really appreciate that fact until we're kind of in the thick of it and we've introduced something like one of the activities that we're going to talk about and then we, we kind of scratch our heads and say, why didn't that work? Well, usually, again, it's because the kid's not regulated or he's not developmentally ready. We've jumped way too far ahead of where he is. So, again, my best advice is put it up. Save it for a few months later after that kid's gotten some more experience under his belt, after he's made some additional cognitive and language leaps, then he's going to be more ready for this kind of thing. So I like early activities with toddlers when they are ready because it ties so nicely with preschool readiness. And many of our little friends that we have seen in uh, early intervention programs, the birth to three programs, we know that the great majority of them are going to go on to need preschool services, uh, in, whether they're in a local public school or whether their parents choose to do a private option, they're, they're going to move on to that kind of more controlled academic or um, even if it's kind of a socially based preschool program that's developmentally based and they're doing a lot of sit-down activities. Over time, children are expected to be able to <laughs> Sit and participate in some of these little things. And so it is good when you have a kid who, again, who's already pretending, a child who can already sit with you for five to ten minutes and that not be a real struggle, that's when you know a kid is ready. So, you know, let me just say one more time, it is really, really rare for a child to be able to sustain attention for an early art activity when he's not mastered those earlier, easier kinds of play that we've already talked about for today. And remember that why this is early art here. This is pretty symbolic. A lot of the things that we're going to be talking about today, it, it, it ties so nicely with language development because again, they're the same things. Pictures are symbols, words are symbols. So again, we're moving children toward that. But be sure that you're really thinking about that developmental process that has to happen. And let me be sure, too, that we're reminding ourselves that all of these early art activities have lots of different things going on. Of course, we're going to target language because that's our focus. That's why you're listening to this show, to get ideas for working with children who are late talkers or who have some difficulty understanding words. But all of these little early art activities also have a fine motor component, so using their hands in a coordinated way, or a cognitive component, again, being symbolic, or, or thinking about, um, like we talked about before, cause and effect. All of the, it's not just ever one domain, hardly, when we're talking about how we work with children in the, the activities that we use. You're bringing in a, a whole kid here. So remember that as you're thinking about the appropriateness of each of these activities for any little friend that you would be thinking about using them with. Now, I've already said that I don't use these kinds of activities unless the kid's ready. So that would mean for me, in my caseload, really, really sparingly. Remember that I see kids now mostly on a consultative basis, and so a lot of times I'm seeing kids that are, have pretty significant delays or their parents just, again, want that third opinion, fourth opinion. Other folks have seen them. 
rarely anymore do I see kids that are super, super ready for this sort of thing. And so that's why I can say I use these activities sparingly because I, I, I don't see the kinds of kids that I used to see in the past when I had just a general caseload and just took any referral that came my way. So you may have more of a use for this, but it's fantastic for children who are ready for this because so many times this is the novelty. This is the new thing that you've never done with them that will really, really, again, hook their interest and they'll want to sit with you and stay with you and work on your language targets almost in um, a, a way that they don't even, you can kind of almost trick them into doing things that they wouldn't ordinarily do because they're so focused on doing things with their little hands. So you may hear some new words or, or, um, get some new practice with some things that you are just blown away by because you've introduced that novelty piece and because, again, they're, they're sort of occupied with what they're trying to do that is these little new words or maybe a, a speech target, a speech sound you never heard before is going to just kind of pop out because <laughs> you've got them so engrossed in this new kind of activity. Let's talk – well, and the, uh, let's just say, too, the other – the flip side of that could be true as well. A kid may be so engrossed and so engaged that you don't hear anything because this is completely new. So it kind of will vary kid to kid. It's almost a double-edged sword. So you'll have to really decide when these kinds of activities are appropriate and when they're not. So let me give you some signs that I look for that tell me a kid really may like early art activities. First of all, kids who are reaching for my pen when I'm writing a note <laughs> Or when I'm, I'm doing something, I'm, I'm jotting something down, that, and I try not to do that um, just continuously during a session because it's so distracting to the kid and to the moms. And I know data collection is a big part of what we do as therapists, and we have to have uh, supportive documentation to justify what we're doing and the progress the child is making. And so, again, it's just the reality of what we do. But when a kid is constantly trying to get my pen, I think, okay, I need to use this. This is something he is super interested in. So I start looking for ways that we could pull these little activities into our therapy session. Kids who generally like sensory play are telling us, hey, I like doing things with my hands. So this might be another clue that these kinds of activities would work. Kids who have really extraordinary fine motor control and other kinds of play. So let's say that they really like manipulating toys and objects, that they're you know, really down there trying to twist a knob or they're already trying to button their clothes. Or let's say that they're really into the smaller Legos that they really want to build. Those are kids who are telling you, hey, my fine motor control is moving right along here and you can just introduce new things to me at any time because my little body is ready so that's another good indicator. Other kids that I've had, haven't done this a lot, but it's worked a couple of times, so I really want to mention it. Kids who like a lot of apps, and again, you know that, boy, I am just not an app therapist. I do not use tablets and notebooks and things like that unless kids really, really are into that. 
But sometimes an early, an early art activity might be a good transition to other kinds of play for kids who are just totally addicted to apps. But again, you've got to make sure that the fine motor component and the cognitive components are there for them to really be good candidates for this kind of play. So what I've done with that is if a kid is really like a particular app, say a game with animals, I've tried to use an art activity where we are pulling in the same kinds of interest or vocabulary. So if, let's say the app had some zoo animals or jungle animals on them, I would try to do some things that included those same kinds of animals because the kids are showing you, hey, I like that. That will keep my attention. That's something I, would, I enjoy doing. Sometimes a parent will say to you, boy, he really likes to do anything like drawing or using a pen or a marker because he sees his older brother or sister doing homework every day. And so he really has, has shown sort of an interest in that. Or mom just may say, you know, I really started noticing that he really, you know, he's not really tearing up the books, paper books anymore. He's really kind of sitting and looking. And then I, I've sort of paid attention to him trying, it looks like he's almost trying to draw or write. And so when a mom says those things to you, listen to those reports because it gives you an idea of what's going on with that child again cognitively maturation wise he's moved on to a new level so that'll let you know that these kinds of activities are probably going to be appropriate and he'll be interested in these the most common situation where I use early activities is when a kid is about to transition to a preschool program and I started talking about that earlier and I got off on another little <laughs> topic as I do a lot but if I know that a kid is about to go to preschool and if he has had really limited exposure to these kinds of early art things or sit-down activities, or if I think, oh, I wish I could just extend this attention span just a little bit longer because that will keep him out of trouble when he's moving on to this more organized preschool setting, that's when I'll start to introduce more of these activities. And I'll talk to mom and I'll say, you know, now we don't need to do this, expect that he can sit with us, you know, for an hour or a whole morning doing these kinds of activities, but let's just sneak it in. Let's see what we can get going to help him learn how to stay with us for, again, a good 10 or 15 minutes is, is the most we would expect here. Let's just see what we can get here because, again, that, that just practice and, and participating in activities like this can go a long way for some kids. So now remember that these little art activities are tied into pre-writing, and we will be reviewing the pre-writing stages as we talk about the activities. Now, we as speech-language pathologists may not have reviewed a lot of this information before, or we you know, we know it, but we don't know that we know it. <laughs> and so it's a good idea to kind of review this information for developmental domains that are not something we think about every day, but that we have that information readily available so we can explain to a parent what's going on with their particular child. All right, so let's talk about specific ideas and specific toys. Now, because it's Christmas, I'll be tying in some holiday-related activities, but you can do these kinds of things all year. So don't chunk the idea just because you say, well, she said make a Christmas tree. It's not Christmas. That's not effective. Try to think about other things that you could do and really apply this so that these activities would be relevant all year long. So the first kind of early art activity that I try is Play-Doh. And we probably talked about this a little bit already when we did the show with sensory activities because certainly... Play-Doh is a tactile, rich 
experience. Kids are touching it. You know, I remember as a child, one of my earliest memories was the smell of Play-Doh. Think about that, like in my little church Sunday school program and at kindergarten, how much I liked smelling that Play-Doh. And so, again, it's it's a, an activity that involves lots of different senses and there's lots of incoming information for children to process. Kids who have some tactile defensiveness or meaning that they don't like to touch things with their hands, they get really icked out pretty easily, may have some resistance when you try to introduce Play-Doh. So with those kids, you can use a lot of tools that we'll talk about in just a minute, but I'll tell you what I do. I just try to make it more dramatic. So if I have my little container of Play-Doh and I've taken my color out of the can, and put it down on the table, and I think that a kid might, again, have some initial reluctance to participate with that Play-Doh, I just might pound it with my fist, and, you know, the side of my fist, and just, you know, pound, 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 or boom, 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 pow, 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 and just see if I can get them going that way. <coughs> Excuse me, other things that I might do, and again, we talked about how sometimes just a little bit of distraction by doing something else will make a kid more likely to do something he's not quite willing to do on his own. I might try to sing a song. You know, this is the way we roll the ball, roll the ball, roll the ball. Anything like that where I'm really rolling the Play-Doh or getting my hands in there, sometimes just that little introduction of that song will make a child more likely to participate because, again, we've given him something else to think about or something else to pay attention to, and then before you know it, he's touching the Play-Doh and he is fine. So sometimes you have to do these kinds of things to get the activity going. I make a lot of balls with Play-Doh at the beginning or snakes if I think a kid will think that's funny. So there's so much interest from one, two, and three-year-old children just in those two simple shapes. If you live where there's snow, <laughs> get some white Play-Doh and start with some snowballs and some snowmen. That'll be a lot of fun. This time of year, you could really make a Christmas tree. So just make um, a little triang triangular-shaped um, green uh, tree there to use. You could make it flat so that you are laying that on the table. But I like to stand it up. So make it cone-shaped and stand it up. And again... It's so much fun for kids to make those little balls, and they like to just pinch those little pieces off the Play-Doh anyway. A lot of kids are really kind of fascinated with that little pincer grasp practice there. So just get them to do that and put the little balls carefully on the tree so that you can extract those different colors. I don't know if you're like me, if you get a little, little wigged out when your Play-Doh colors get all messed up. Uh, but you can certainly do that with Christmas trees. I like making birthday cakes for more advanced pretending uh, with Play-Doh. I use it a lot in conjunction with a real-life event. So if I know a kid's birthday's coming up, particularly if he's turning three and he's doing a lot of pretending, or if, that, if I know that they're going to a friend's birthday party or a sibling is having a birthday, right after you've done it or right before the party and then after the party, that will make pretending the birthday cake much more relevant. And so, you know, you'll make the little cake, and then I make a little candle of a different color, just a little rod-shaped piece there, and then get a little yellow or orange and stick right on top and pretend like it's the candle and sing the happy birthday song and blow it out and then take the little fire piece off like you've blown the candle out. Tons of fun. So great little ideas there for Play-Doh. 
tool use or bringing in something else that they can use on the Play-Doh is another really important skill. We've talked about it a lot in this series for selecting activities for therapy. We've talked about it a lot as children, again, begin to use objects functionally. We mentioned that back with cause and effect and also in early sit-down activities as well as with pretend play. So Play-Doh is a great way to target early tool use, and our OT friends will certainly tell us that. You can start with things that you already have, so raid your kitchen, get some cookie cutters out, get your rolling pin, plastic knives, are really, really fun to use with Play-Doh, and you know it won't matter if it breaks, and they're certainly safe. So that's something you can use with that. You can order fancier Play-Doh sets, and I've included a lot of those in today's post, the sets that I like. So a fun tub that had the Play-Doh fun tub set, it includes cookie cutters and lots of your accessories. So lots of different opportunities there. My, one of my all-time favorite toys is actually a Play-Doh set. It's Barbershop Play-Doh, and they discontinued it for a long time. I actually have had several versions of this toy, but there's a new one out that's currently available. It's called Play-Doh Crazy Cuts, and basically it's like the, um, oh, what's it called, the Fun Factory, where you're, you have a little machine that you put the Play-Doh in and you push down on the handle and the Play-Doh comes out, so you're squeezing it out. Well, what happens in the barbershop set is that there's a little person's head, so it looks like the person's hair is growing, and toddlers think this is a riot. They think this is just the funniest thing they've ever seen. And you can cut it with a scissor, so great opportunities for practicing that early cutting, but most of the time, kids will just pull it off. Or again, if you've used a little plastic knife, let them kind of cut it off with that, and they're getting that tool use practice in, but such a fun toy. And again, you can target all kinds of language. And that's our purpose here. We don't want to forget that we are moving children along with play, and we are talking about things like preschool readiness, but you've got to keep in mind, what, what's my language goal here? Am I working on helping a kid understand more words? Am I working on helping him say more words? Is he using a different kind of language use? So am I having him request the tools that he's using, is he using a sign to request or is he using a single word? Am I bumping him up to phrases with this activity? So really be sure that you're thinking about the activity not for just the sake of the activity, although that's pretty good. We need to keep moving kids along with their play skills. But at the same time, really, really think about how can I make this the very most effective use of our time where we are working on what we need to be working on language-wise. So for a kid whose maybe vocabulary expansion is one of the things that we're thinking about, targeting new action words, new verbs, is a great thing that we would do here with Play-Doh. If I have a kid that's not really talking yet, but we're working on lots of play sounds or exclamatory words, certainly words that we talked about before with boom, 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 or pow, or, you know, I already said action words, but things like push and pull, we were really emphasizing those words and we we're making our voices sound fun and exciting. Be sure that you are <laughs> layering all of those different ideas, even as we're talking about new kinds of toys that we're introducing. All right, so let's move on now to talk about activities that are a little more pre-writing. 
So bingo markers are a really fun toy that I did not use until I ran a playgroup program, and again, years ago, from 2002 to 2004. And kids love those darn bingo markers. And again, not the safest toy because they certainly are not um, edible. So be sure that you are not letting a kid just sit with the marker in his mouth. And sadly, most of these bingo markers are not washable. <laughs> so you'll have to really, really pay attention to what kind of clothes the kid's wearing and certainly not do this kind of stuff on the couch. You want to be sure that you are in a protected environment. But oh, this is a lot of fun. And kids mostly here at this stage, and again, the pre-writing stage here would be kids who are in their random scribbling stage. So 15 months to, it can go all the way up to kids who are two and a half years old. But they're really using tools in their hand with an immature grasp. And in plain English, that just means they hold it with their fist rather than using maybe a three-prong grasp, like our OT colleagues, how they would describe it, where a kid is using his fingers correctly on a pencil or a marker or something. But you have to get kids started somewhere. So these bingo markers are a lot of fun. And since this is Christmas time, how I've used this in the past is I have drawn a Christmas tree. And again, this does, you do not have to be an artist to make all of these ideas okay for toddlers. You can have just the most basic triangle on a piece of paper and say, look, it's a Christmas tree. And you can color it green if you want to do that first or use, you know, a lighter green uh, shade of paper Make sure, though, that the kid can be able, will be able to see the dot that he's making with the bingo marker. And then just let him dot, dot, dot that Christmas tree to death. It will look like he's putting an ornament on the tree or a ball. So take whatever your target word is or whatever you're thinking about. And, and again, this is dependent on the kid. And just let him use this early art activity to work on whatever your language goal is. So great, great idea there. Let's move on and talk about the next little art material that I love that you may not have thought about, but it's using a glue stick. Now, I love glue sticks because I can get some really cool verbal routines going. So, and again, we were I gave this example earlier. Lots of kids haven't seen glue sticks before, so they're not quite sure what to make of that. So you're going to have to really play with them as with all of these activities and really model what they can do or what your purpose is here and show them what the activity is. But I just like gluing really simple things. So again, because it's Christmas, you could uh, again have something like the Christmas tree shape that you're doing and just have pieces of construction paper that you have cut out different colors here and let them rub the glue stick. You know, certainly you can glue the tree on first, so you're going to show them uh, and as you're how to use the glue stick, and as you do that, you say things like, you know, rub, 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 rub that glue in, rub, rub, rub. And then as you turn the tree over to stick it to the paper, you'll say things like pat, 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 or push, 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 push. Again, you're emphasizing <laughs> that verbal routine, that word that you're going to say over and over and over and over and over, and get them lots of things to glue. Don't just glue one or two little things and then want to put it up, unless that's all their attention span is. But for many toddlers, because this is so new and they've never done it before, they're going to need some time to even sort of figure out what you're trying to do there. And there will be a level of experimentation there. They're going to want to glue the piece down and then pull it up and 
try to understand what's making this stick and they'll look at the material and you can use words with the glue stick like you know stuck and uh, sticks and it holds together however you want to explain that but I most often will use exclamatory words here like you know ooh or oh or wow that's so yucky and kids think that's so funny and again because it's a new texture and a new experience for them you'll really be able to hook their attention with that other things you can make this time of year again a snowman so that's not very hard you just get a colored sheet of paper and then cut yourself out some circles from just a regular sheet of copy paper there and call it a snowman and your snowballs and you're gluing those on there stockings or something I've done this time of year because the shape is so easy and so recognizable and kids are probably seeing that in their homes you might point out the stocking if mom has already hung those and talk about you know oh let's make a stocking and really provide the language and narrate what's going on with that activity so that a child understands and again for children who are just becoming symbolic you'll have to do a lot of talking and a lot of supplying vocabulary so that they understand hey this this red box shaped picture thing that Laura's cut out here today, that's the same thing as mom has hanging up over there. And so because children who are toddlers and preschoolers have short memories, they don't remember the stockings from last year. This is new for them. So you'll have to reintroduce all of that seasonal vocabulary. Now, there are all kinds of ideas, too, on the Internet, on blogs or on Pinterest that you can get when you, you type in things like early art activities for toddlers or toddler art projects toddler crafts so spend some time doing that if you don't want to do the simplest little ideas that I've talked about here today you can certainly get yourself some activities that are more creative or fancier if you want to put a little bit more effort into that the next little activity and remember this was all in the pre-writing phase so kids aren't really ready to write yet but they're learning how to use their hands more purposefully so stringing activities my favorite stringing toy is a set that I've mentioned on the show before but it's from Alex and it's a string of course but there are really cute farm animals with the set that I use and you can certainly use that with early pretending but so many companies have early stringing sets years and years ago I found some little plastic shapes at Walmart with a little plastic string that I've kept and every time I am looking in my on my toy shelves and I find that toy I, I sort of forget about it and then I'll bring it out and use it for a couple months and then put it away and then it's like a brand new surprise when I find it again or I'll go digging around for it because I forget about it but all of that stringing practice putting beads or objects or any kind of shape you know that has two holes in it onto the string is a pre-writing skill kids are learning how to coordinate movements of their fingers and of their hands so great great fine matter practice there so when we're ready to move kids toward things that look more like writing or in this con controlled scribbling <laughs> is the stage the formal stage it's called and again this developmentally is between a kid who's 24 months and 36 months so two to three years kids abilities change and they improve and so toddlers may start to make repeated marks on the page they'll start to draw things that look like lines and circles 
So their grasp is maturing too. So they're not just holding it with their fist all the time. You'll see them transition to holding the crayon or the marker or whatever you're using between their thumb and their pointer finger and even their third finger. And so a lot of kids will have to really, really work on that and give them lots of time for practicing that. And a lot of times kids will try it at the beginning and they get a little bit frustrated and they'll go back to that fisted grasp. That's okay, but you want to help them move on. And again, it's a real developmental process. If you need more specific ideas, call an OT because I'm a speech pathologist. But at the same time, we should be thinking about this sort of thing with the the kids that we're working with on our early intervention caseloads. You know, how can we facilitate that maturation with their pre-writing skills? So what are some things that you can do here with drawing? Well, first of all, provide markers or crayons. And again, everything is, oh gosh, you can find so many options for that. And they're washable, so easy to use. If you are a tablet kind of person or if you have one of those bigger phones with a stylus, you can do that. I made the mistake of doing that years ago, though, and the kids would be obsessed with my phone for the rest of the session or for weeks to come. So I've kind of backed off that. I like to use a magnadoodle, and lots of parents and families already have that toy, so it's sort of a fun way to introduce it. And you'll talk to parents about, you know, a, a developmentally appropriate skill that we see on most developmental assessments when our OT colleagues are looking at children is really are they able to copy some shapes can they copy a horizontal line or a vertical line and you'll show a parent that are they starting to be able to copy a circle or a cross just those really really simple shapes so that's a really fun way to do it another fun medium to use here is chalk and sidewalk chalk is a lot of fun in our last office I had a whole wall that I painted with that chalkboard paint because I could use it every day and kids just love it and they think it's tons and tons of fun now if you live in a climate that you can get outside most of the year you could probably use sidewalk chalk um, outside for lots of kids lots of the time but for those of us where it gets kind of cold having another way to uh, use sidewalk chalk would be a good idea parents like it sidewalk chalk is cheap Again, it's novel, so you may be able to get uh, a lot of bang for your buck out of that because kids will want to do it. Moving on to other kinds of pre-writing things, uh, painting is a fun thing. Now, you can certainly finger paint, but since we've been talking about pre-writing skills, I like to use a tool, so a little paintbrush, or you could even use things like cotton balls or Q-tips or sponges or, again, the ideas are pretty unlimited with the things that you can paint with. So if you want some additional ideas, get on Pinterest or just Google uh, painting ideas for toddlers and you'll get yourself maybe some original things to paint with that you've not thought about before. Let me give you a tip with painting. I almost always tape the paper. So tape it on the table or on the floor or wherever you're using it. It'll make it a little bit less messy, and it certainly will make it more stable for a kid, and he's not worrying about moving the paper around. That can even be true for some kids when they're drawing or writing. And so if a kid's getting really frustrated with the paper moving, be sure that you're taping that down. That's just a little trick there. I like painting with an easel, too. There's a great easel that I've used from a company called Step 2, and it's two-sided, so 
more than one kid can play, which is fantastic if you have a little group program or if you have siblings in therapy or even if there's an older sibling there who seems to always want to jump in with what the toddler's doing. One side of the easel is magnetic, so you can use magnetic um, letters or most of the time I would use pictures there, but it also has a little clip for holding the paper. And the other side is actually a chalkboard. So a lot of functional use out of that. It's only about 35 bucks. So if, and I haven't wagged it from home visit to home visit, but certainly if you have a little clinic-based program or a preschool program, or if you are a mom, that's an idea that would be a really, really great use of your resources there because you can use that toy for lots and lots of different things. Now, that kind of gets us up to the three-year level with early art activities and if we're combining that and looking at that with pre-writing skills. Let me share one more little idea that I do a lot. I used it with my own children who loved it. And any kid that's been mature enough for me to use it with and I thought this is a good activity um, have liked it equally well. And it's making a little homemade book. And so what I'll do is I'll either take an activity that a kid has really, really liked so let's say they love going to the park, and we'll just take some pictures and then print them. I'll either print them at my house or my office or have mom go print them at Walgreens or Walmart or somewhere and just tape those pictures to paper where you're making a book. And then a kid can either draw about it or some kids really start to, between three and five, you know, draw their own pictures or they start to make little uh, scribbles that look like letters they're realizing hey I want to make this look like the books that my mom reads to me or that I sit and look at so it's a super super way and again a good idea for preschoolers or kids who are developmentally are really at that three-year-old developmental level as they move more toward four and certainly toward five will want to see that skill emerging. One other thing that I do with books, and I, I love it, it's kind of a seasonal activity for me, is I take a book that I've had forever. It's called Merry Christmas Maisie, and I got this book, oh gosh, years and years ago. I think I'm probably on my third or fourth copy of it. But it's a it has paper pages, but they're pretty thick because it it's sort of like a pop-up book. There are different things that you can do, different flaps that you can make the pictures move. And several of the the pictures in this book, Merry Christmas Maisie, have ideas that you can duplicate and you can make your own little book. So there's a page with a Christmas tree. And so the child and I read the book and then you you talk about the book, you do all your language activities, whether it's receptive or expressive or both, whatever you're doing with the book. And then you flip back to the page that has the Christmas tree and you transition to an early art activity and you say, let's make a Christmas tree. Look, let's make one like this book. And so you make the little tree that you've seen there in the book. So a super, super way, and you don't have to use this just at Christmas time, find any book that has a really simple picture that you can cut out or, you know, what you could do is probably color copy the page and then cut out the shapes or do something, add something to it so that the kid can use one of the activities we've already talked about, a glue stick or paint or a marker, whatever you want to use there so that you are taking the original activity that they liked and then transitioning 
and bumping up to this higher level activity with making their own little book and doing some pre-writing. So I hope that these ideas have inspired you a little bit and you can include early art activities in your therapy sessions if you're an SLP like me or another kind of therapist with your kids that are developmentally ready or if you're a mom at home with your own late talker and let me just caution and say kind of my closing comments here if a kid's trying to eat the crayon or the play-doh or in any way is demonstrating that he is not developmentally ready, don't sweat it. Just know we're not there yet. i got to back up and do some different kinds of play activities first, and we'll revisit this in a few weeks or a few months when he is more ready for these kinds of activities. But sometimes those of us who've worked for a long time need these new ideas to keep things fun and keep things fresh for us. So I hope I've given you some uh, New little tools, new little treasures to kind of think about as you plan your upcoming sessions in the next few weeks. All right, that's all for today. We'll be back next week with a new series of shows about how we handle specific problems in play, and I hope that you'll join me there. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye.